This episode is supported by Vegamore. I'm a month and a half into my Vegamore journey. I don't know if you've ever had a garden and planted seeds, but when that first little growth breaks ground, it's exciting. And on my very head, I can see some new growth in the areas that I've noticed hair thinning before. And it's exciting to see those little babies coming in. I use the shampoo, conditioner, and the grow serum, which have a lovely, mellow, warm citrus smell. I've been consistently using this and it makes my hair feel soft and full. And it's really important to me that I use safe and conscious products whenever I can. And Vegamore is 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Elevate your hair wellness routine this year with Vegamore. For a limited time, get 20% off your first subscription order by going to vegamore.com slash mind and use code mind at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to Mom in Mind. Our episode today is with Dr. Kelly Fraden. She's the author of Advanced Parenting, Helping Kids Through Diagnoses, Differences, and Mental Health Challenges. She's a pediatrician and mother of two and a child advocate based in New York City. As the director of pediatrics at Atria Institute, she was inspired to become a doctor because of her own experience surviving childhood cancer. She's a graduate of Harvard College and Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons, and she has dedicated her career to caring for children with complex medical conditions in many situations, including academic clinics, private practice, inpatient units, and schools. In addition to her new book, she shares realistic and empowering parenting advice and children's health info on her Instagram account at advice I give my friends. And really specifically in our episode today, she is going to be talking about what it's like for parents who are experiencing that their children have a medical diagnosis, the kind of stress and strain that puts on parenting, that it puts on the parent themselves and the mental health challenges that can come with that. Obviously a really stressful situation for the parents. And that is true for diagnoses that are transient, that come and go, something like reflux can still be really upsetting and challenging uh, for parents and anxiety producing. And then also more complex conditions that might require more intensive treatments. There's such a gamut of experience that parents can have. So she shares with us from a pediatrician's perspective what she does to support these parents through the process and then tells us a little bit about how the book that she wrote really does support this population. So let's meet Dr. Kelly Freyden. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Dr. Freyden. I'm really happy to talk with you and learn about your work and how you support parents. Thank you so much for having me. You know, when I was a child... I was diagnosed with childhood cancer. 
And that experience for my family showed me just firsthand how important a parent's mental health is to their ability to function as a parent and as an advocate for their child. So I think it's so great to talk about what we can do to promote maternal mental health together uh, with psychologists, therapists, and pediatricians. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. I really value pediatricians and all physicians really, but specifically, I mean, you get so much contact with a pregnant and postpartum person more than anybody else, medically anyways. The fact that you're interested and that you're you know, knowledgeable, it's, it really means a lot. Because, you know, some physicians don't, but it seems like more and more are really more up to date on what to look out for in terms of mental health. Absolutely. You know, when I was in training, I was still in my residency and I was spending a month in the postpartum unit, you know, doing well baby exams and talking with new mothers. And I found that I was made like when I was spending time with these women, between like a third and half of them would start crying. And it was, you know, I think a mix of exhaustion and stress, you know, good things also are stressful. It's not always just bad things that cause uh, stress, <laughs> right? but the, you know, and it was during that time that I first became aware of how important an issue it is to really comprehensively support new parents during this journey. And I actually talked to one of my mentors at the time. I was like, am I doing something wrong? Come watch me. <laughs> and I really like dove into learning all about it because, you know, I do think it's an important, and sometimes the narrative about it is that it's all like unicorns and rainbows. But Mm. I think the lived experience is much more mixed. And when we talk about it and normalize that, that, you know, it can be a hard time and it doesn't have to be perfect. And you don't have to love every minute to still like value your family and love your new baby. So that's why I'm just so happy to be here with you. Yeah, thank you. It's just really, I know for a lot of people who listen and stories I've heard from people who really need that support from their pediatrician, their child's pediatrician. And especially because you're really in there with them, uh, with the children and the parents in those, well, certainly for a long time, but really specifically uh, within that first year, there's so much, especially like for new parents too, they have a lot of questions and they just really need a lot of support. And when I say they, I mean me. <laughs> That's how I felt too. I uh, needed a lot of support too. And there are a lot of questions. And I'm curious, you know, a lot of parents uh, might be learning about their new baby and sort of what's normal and what's not normal. And there's a lot of anxiety that can come up around that. And then you kind of add another layer of a potential diagnosis of something. And parents, obviously, if they're just learning their child, they don't know. We don't know what's going on. So I guess I have that's a kind of a two-part question is one, like how do you help new parents navigate things that are like within the realm of normal, but they're feeling really worried about it? Yes. You know, one thing that's really relevant to this discussion is the importance of having an honest relationship with your doctor and your children's doctor. Mm-hmm. Because especially when you're, maybe it's your first baby and it's a new relationship with the pediatrician, it can be very tempting to want to look like you have it all together mm-hmm. or that you don't want to share the things that are very hard or the things that aren't going well. Yeah. And it can feel, I know some parents feel like disrespectful when they 
don't take the advice of the doctor, mm. whether if it's, you know, to try something for breastfeeding or to try sleeping in a certain way. And what I would just encourage parents to do is really to be honest as much as possible, because when a doctor has that context for your family life and what you're experiencing, they'll be able to be better for your family, you know, more uh-huh. in tune with your needs and able to provide guidance that resonates with you. Yeah. I think sometimes we have, when we miss each other, especially with regard to feeding choices, it can be because we just don't have a sense of how hard a time the mom is having, mm. you know, but if you're honest mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm really having a tough time, we might make entirely different recommendations because the wellness of the parent matters just as much as any of these medical decisions. Oh, right. I mean, those are all such great points. And it sounds like in your work, I imagine with you and I guess just what I know of you in the first couple of minutes is a gentle approach that you have and a sort of educated approach as well, that it would probably be easy for parents to be more honest with you. And that does make a difference. And it's so hard because of what you said before about it feeling like it should be, you know, sunshine and rainbows and all that to be honest, even sometimes with yourself, but let alone your child's pediatrician. But that sounds like a lot of permission to be honest. Absolutely. And I think it also helps, in my opinion, to anticipate that there's going to be hard times, you know, there's going to be days when you're really sleep deprived, or the baby is just, you know, crying a lot. Or there might even be times earlier in your pregnancy, where there's a scan that something pops up abnormal. And it's frankly, because you're interfacing with the healthcare system between the OB and the pediatrician so much Mm. that like something's bound to come up. And I think the first reaction many mothers have, especially when they've got all the hormones on board and this Mm -hmm. is something so important to them Mm -hmm. is to really like panic in response. But we know that that in some ways that works against you, against Mm -hmm. you listening and understanding and Mm -hmm. advocating for what you need to kind of make your way through whatever you're facing. So that's the other thing I'd say is that like the narrative of like it just being easy and straightforward and popping out a baby and (laughs) throwing them in the carrier is like, you know, it's not the normal experience. Certainly some women have an easy go of it, but many families have a tough spot here or there, but then they still go on to have, you know, wonderful relationships with their children and their co-parents and their babies grow and thrive Mm -hmm. just with a little attention to whatever they're facing. Yeah, for sure. So I guess the second part to long question I asked earlier is, I'm curious what it's like for you and then also what it's like interacting with a parent when you're discovering that there is a challenging diagnosis or something that needs medical attention with their infant. Yes. You know, I think that one of the most common examples, it helps to kind of ground the discussion in an example Mm -hmm. so you can use your imagination. And so, you know, I think one of the most common things that comes up is babies that have you know, severe reflux and Mm -hmm. possibly a cow's milk protein allergy, right? So these families often have babies who are more fussy and just like not sleeping and the feeds aren't going well. And whether the mom is choosing to try to breastfeed or not, the mom is trying to get the milk into the baby and it's not going well. And so I guess in this kind of situation, you know, I think parents can feel sort of grief when their planned feeding strategy doesn't seem to be working. Yeah. It's like, this is not how I pictured it. Now I have to potentially change my diet or change to this 
fancy formula that's hard to find and expensive. Right. And it's also not a quick fix in terms of often it takes several weeks, even after you make those changes Mm. for the baby to feel better Mm -hmm. so that it can just be really hard. And so I guess what I would say for a situation like that, or actually for many other situations that are similar, say the baby has um, something show up on a prenatal scan and has like a something on their kidneys or something in their heart that needs some follow-up is to remember that it's not your fault as a parent when your child has a diagnosis like this. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds so obvious when you're talking about other people, but for the sure. lived experience of a parent, when it's your baby who's been inside your body or, you know, like you've been really there since day zero, mm-hmm. you can feel like this sense of responsibility or ownership for this tiny little little human who's depending on you. And, but just because they have something, it doesn't mean it's your fault. It doesn't mean if you had done things differently, they wouldn't have had it, you know, mm-hmm. like taking Tylenol during pregnancy. There's like tons of people take Tylenol during pregnancy. Moms often second guess little decision they made oh, along the way. Right. Right. As like one thing that could have caused the reason their child is having. Yeah, you're so right. And I hear that from the mental health side, I guess, which is not separate from what you're doing. But I know you you have just a kind of a brief amount of time with each person, as opposed to like, I can sit for an hour a week and and talk about all of the things. You're kind of really having to attend to a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. I imagine that's challenging on both sides for you as the pediatrician and for the the parent who has a ton of questions. Yes. And I will say that sometimes it can be really confusing to know. Obviously, when your child is facing a diagnosis or having an issue like a feeding issue, you're going to be worried about it. And you're going to be that worrying is actually adaptive. You're going to be researching and making a plan and thinking of what you'll do if your first plan doesn't work. And that has value, that work that you're doing for your child Mm. and your family. But then we all know it can go a bit too far and you can have these intrusive thoughts about, you know, just getting stuck on repeat about something Mm. that isn't going to change your child's plan or change the care. Yeah. And it's when you feel stuck like that, that I, as a parent, that I'm, that's when I'm pushing them to go and see someone like you, because it can be a manifestation of postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression, that if you're getting to the point where, you know, it's interrupting your ability to function, to sleep, Mm. to cope with all the newborn ups and downs. So it's hard to know where that line is for an individual family, but it's always worth thinking like, is this normal worrying or is this excessive Mm -hmm. worrying or when Mm -hmm. do I need help? Mm -hmm. This episode is supported by Ritual. I am by nature and nurture a bit skeptical. I have to see for myself if something works or if it's helpful before I just believe it whole cloth. And I'm open to trying things out to see for myself. And that includes finding strategies for my wellness. I have historically low vitamin D, so it's important for me to take Ritual's Essential 18 because it has D3 in it, and their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin has several other high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. What I love and have always loved about Ritual is that it's a female-founded company, and it's a B Corp, which means they're holding themselves accountable and not just long-term, but also to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. 
Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mom and mind. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mom and mind for 25% off. Support for today's episode comes from OneSkin. And for a limited time, my listeners get an exclusive 15% off OneSkin products using the code MIND when you check out at oneskin.co. Well, I've kept up my mini resolution of taking better care of my skin after consistently using OneSkin for several weeks and all is going well. I can't see what's going on at a cellular level, but I can tell you that my skin feels soft and healthy. But they did do some cool research that looked at before and after exposure of the OS1 peptide to skin cells, and the OneSkin scientists found that the peptide reverses skin's biological age. And you can even see that study by Zonari A. et al. in the NPJ Aging Journal. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code MIND at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code MIND. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New year, healthier skin. That's one skin. Right. So at that point, let's say for a diagnosis like reflux that I guess I would say is more common, parents would have a lot of questions and maybe you have a lot of contact with them or they're coming in more frequently, which makes sense. What about a scenario when there's, I guess, a different kind of diagnosis that requires a lot more attention, something that's more complex. I imagine people are in with you even more often and having to make plans and their, their lives are kind of taken over by whatever this more intense diagnosis is. Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest challenges for parents in that bucket is that often the team gets bigger. And often it's not just you and your pediatrician figuring things out anymore. Often, you know, if your child has a heart problem, there may be a cardiologist. And and if your child has developmental delay, you might be working with early intervention and a, a team of different people. And so I think one of the challenges that comes from having a bigger team is that it's more work on you as the parent to keep everybody communicating, to know who to ask what. And also when things are more complicated, you're going to have a lot more questions from your family and your co-parent and your friends about what's going on. And so you have the responsibility of figuring out how to keep all those people updated too. Yeah. So when you're exponentially bigger, (laughs) it is, unfortunately, you know, I wish I could say that the system was made in a way that takes care of it for you as a parent. Unfortunately, it doesn't, but there are some ways that you can prepare for that responsibility of being organized, communicating with the the people you need to communicate with. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, especially when a responsibility like that is unexpected, you can find yourself kind of behind the ball, trying to make it up as you go. But once you have a diagnosis, you can say like, okay, I need like a notebook. I need like Mm -hmm. a calendar strategy. I need to delegate going to the pharmacy to somebody Mm -hmm. else, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever it is to come up with a strategy for how you're going to, how you're going to set up your plan. And along that line, I do encourage parents not to try to like do it all themselves because it feels like you have to in those first moments, but you typically, in my experience, most people have somebody who wants to help and doesn't know how. And so I really encourage parents to delegate when they're able to, because 
it will, in the long run, take things off your plate and it will help your you feel more connected with those people who care about you so that they have some sense of what you're dealing with. And you can, you know, if something surprising happens, like unfortunately, you know, postpartum women often have health problems of their own pop up. If you are having a day when you can't do something, you know, you don't have to then try to figure everything out at once because you've already told somebody what's going on and somebody else might be able to jump in to help. Oh, that's really great advice because it does like mentally, it's very disorienting to think, you know, and hope that your life is going to be one way and your child's life is going to, at least in those early stages. And then if it's not, you have to rearrange yourself around this new thing. It's incredibly stressful. And the practical stuff is really helpful to to just have something to hold on to. Yeah, I can get a notebook and write these things down and engage other people is so important because the social network is part of mental health too. Absolutely. You know, and I think the other piece of that is that you can give yourself grace as a parent. And when you're new to something, Mm. you're not going to be an expert overnight, you know? And so you can keep asking the people who are the doctors or physical therapists or whoever is working with your child, you can keep asking them questions and keep learning over the next few months Mm. how best to support your child. It's not going to be maybe an overnight thing and that's okay, but that can feel uncomfortable, you know, sometimes for parents. Right. For sure. If I can just take like a little bird walk to talk about parents whose children are in the NICU, because that's a whole, you know, a lot of people are also having a lot of stress during that time. And for you as the pediatrician, are you also then still, I guess, interfacing with the parent in the NICU setting? Or are you, how does that work on your end and how do you support people? Yes. You know, as a parent, I've had two of my kids going through the NICU and I very much agree with the sense that it can be very stressful. So the NICU, because of how specialized the care of tiny newborn babies is, you know, the procedures involved, Mm -hmm. the complexities of taking care of a little, you know, four or five pound human, there are specialists and neonatologists and nurse practitioners and physicians assistants and nurses who only work at the NICU. So it is a time when, unfortunately, you know, you may or may not have known you were going to need to be in the NICU, and now you're meeting a team of people that maybe you didn't have a chance to interview and choose for yourself, Mm -hmm. and they are probably not going to be involved Mm long-term for your family. So that is the reality of how most NICUs work. After you leave the NICU, there is a transition process where they are supposed to send like an extensive summary to the pediatrician and they give it to you too as a parent. And that's really valuable information mm-hmm. about what happened there and the, the kind of story of what you've been through. Cause it, it impacts the plan of care for your child going forward. You know, when sometimes babies need extra calories for a few months or extra follow-up testing, or mm-hmm. even to be on a different vaccination schedule because it's prematurity. So that time, hopefully the NICUs, because we know it's stressful, NICUs have, generally speaking, spent time thinking about how they do this. And so if you're in that position to ask your specific NICU how they handle discharge, and before you leave, make sure you know who to call if you have questions come up and how to get in touch with them. Because Mm -hmm. then, you know, if you need something in follow-up, you'll be one step closer to getting it done. Mm -hmm. Right. So then the parents who may have chosen you specifically don't really get 
the support from you until their child is discharged. And then that's a transition into a whole other process. Yes, I will say the NICU, part of why I think it's such a stressful place for parents is because it can be kind of intimidating, you know, all the rules and the noise and the way that they do things is just very specific often. And so one thing I would say is that if you are a parent in the NICU, to not hesitate to kind of advocate for what you need and ask for help, you know, so often you're in a position where you'll have to ask for something as simple as like something to eat or drink. If you're like a nursing mother who's Mm -hmm. trying like in an uncomfortable chair without a pillow, you know, Mm -hmm. like, again, it goes back to that permission to ask for what you need to be comfortable and to support your baby or, you know, private space to pump and these kinds of things. Often it's not necessarily set up because every family in there is having such a different journey. Some parents don't get to visit a lot. You know, if they have other kids or work responsibilities, some parents visit all the time. Some parents choose to lactate and some people choose not to. And so Mm -hmm. it's not because they don't want to accommodate your needs. It's because they probably don't know what your needs are if you don't ask. Mm-hmm. So just to center around the idea that they won't know unless you ask, they might also forget what jargon they're using because they use that jargon every day, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and so they start throwing around the acronyms that you've never heard of mm-hmm. or talking about tests you're not familiar with, you know, mm-hmm. to ask and who cares if you are, you know, you don't have to worry about them liking you or thinking highly of you, <laughs> like they're there to help you and your yeah. child. So you do, you do what you need. I love that. Cause right. If you're intimidated and you don't know. I mean, really relying on those doctors to, and maybe even making assumptions that they would know what you need. In your process of supporting parents through, you know, their child receiving a diagnosis, what are some of the challenges that you see that parents are dealing with after that? After the the diagnosis is challenging enough, but like the, what comes next part? Yes. I, you know, I think one of the toughest parts to cope with for many parents is that there's a stigma associated with your child facing a challenge. And whether it's a real stigma, like people actually, you know, having feelings about what you're facing, or it's a kind of perceived stigma that like, you know, we've all gotten used to like Pinterest perfect or, you know, Instagram ready kids pictures. And when everything's messy, it might not feel as in line with what other people are experiencing. I think that can be very hard for parents. And, and, you know, I shared a story in my book, actually, I had a baby in my practice who needed nasogastric feeds. And so what that is, is like a tube that goes in the nose that uh, goes down to the stomach and that you give extra milk by syringe through the tube. So it's for a baby who might have uh, heart disease or trouble growing and gaining weight. It's a way to get extra calories in, even if they don't want to suck. Mm-hmm. And obviously a parent dealing with that is already dealing with the learning a new skill, learning um, a new procedure, uh, buying all the equipment and, and often with like lots of hospital visits and nurses. And then on top of it, they also have their beautiful baby who has like something taped to their face mm-hmm. so that when they go to the grocery store or to church or wherever they're trying to go in their daily life, they can't like hide it, that there's something right there. And so then all of a sudden you're dealing not just with like your close friends and family who you choose whether or not to share information with, but you're dealing with like strangers and the way they look at you and their glances and their comments. And often they come from a place maybe of not being educated about what your child's facing, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe thinking like, you'll hear like sometimes 
older ladies maybe be like, well, I could get that baby to eat or things. Like oh, that. for sure. Yikes. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, it, can, it can be terrible. And so I think it, it helps to de- like develop some coping mechanisms for that, whether it's a quick response or a kind of a mantra you say inside your own head, like they have no idea, they have no mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Or like, I'm doing the best I can, you know, mm-hmm. with these kinds of things to cope with the stress of these experiences. And I think the other thing I'll say is that when you can overcome your hesitancy to talk about the challenges with your social network, a lot of good can come of it. Mm-hmm. So this comes up all the time with mothers who either have miscarriages or pregnancy loss or infant loss that they can feel really alone in a time of grief and a time of need. Yeah. And that can be a cycle of feeling alone, feeling like you can't go to others, feeling like you can't talk to them and then feeling more alone. And what I would say is that once you break that cycle even a little bit by opening up with friends and family and people you trust, you can be surprised by how... Some people out there do understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they can support you if they're given the opportunity to do so. And then they can help you potentially to grieve and to feel better if you're in that situation. And so okay. I just think that's important. This episode is supported by Factor. Eating better is better with ready-to-eat Factor meals. And ready-to-eat means pop it in the microwave for two minutes and done. I mix in a few of these meals into my rotation for the days that we're on the run or that I don't want to make anything. I chose the high protein and calorie smart options, one of which is the mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice with garlic roasted green beans. This is restaurant quality and so tasty. I can adjust how many meals I get in my order as much or as little as I need every week. Plus, I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime, which comes in really handy for our busy schedule. Head to factormeals.com slash momandmind50 and use code momandmind50 to get 50% off. That's code momandmind50 at factormeals.com slash momandmind50 to get 50% off. This episode is supported by Hungry Root. I am a creature of habit when it comes to food, like I buy the same stuff in the store and generally make the same stuff over and over. Not really that fun. So in order to shake things up, I use Hungry Root. I can pick a whole meal and they send me what I need to make it, but I will also just let them choose so I don't get into my rut. And it paid off. I got the chicken shawarma non-flatbread. These are flavors that I wouldn't have thought to put together on my own, and they totally work. It was so yummy and so easy to make. And bonus, I also received for free organic roasted chicken breast that I threw into a salad for another meal. Hungry Root is my partner in healthy and yummy living. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Mom and Mine listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash cat to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash cat. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. Yeah, that's uh, one thing I've noticed to your point that sometimes when people start sharing, then other people share too. And you might not have even known that, you know, a friend or acquaintance or coworker, whoever you're sharing with has had a similar experience. So that can be a supportive surprise doesn't always happen, but certainly feeling like you're not alone is a really big deal. It goes a long way in terms of mental health. For sure. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say that part of why often, you know, I think it worsens it that often, even if your children were perfectly healthy and, you know, you might have people in your network who are having challenges with their child. Mm. I think often because you don't know what to say, you can't totally relate to what they're dealing with. You might hesitate to say anything because you don't want to say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And that's true whether they're dealing with a loss or a diagnosis. But what I would say is to remember that the parent is a whole person and not only the parent after birth. Like sometimes way of like forgetting about that. So if it's a friend that you used to talk about TV shows with, like you can still talk to them about that. Mm -hmm. You know, you can still connect with them about things outside of their challenge and they'll probably appreciate that and it can be a window in to talking about the more sensitive topics and just a way to show that you're there and you're thinking about them Mm -hmm. so you know you don't necessarily have to know what to say to be a good friend you just have to kind of show up and be open (laughs) yeah yeah that is really true that feeling of awkwardness that like you might have of not knowing what to say is that happens that's normal and you can even say that so, you know, we've, we've sort of hit on how some parents can experience feelings of grief or stigma or isolation when their child is facing a challenge. But one thing we haven't discussed is that some parents can also feel very angry. And when you have a, an idea of like how your pregnancy journey or your delivery or your, you know, your new baby will be, and you're dealing now with something unexpected, yeah. it can feel really unfair. And I think that especially, you know, culturally, we don't, we're not kind to people who get angry, especially women who get angry. But I think yeah. it's a valid response. And sometimes it makes sense to be angry and upset. Yeah. And some of stuffing those emotions down because they don't feel acceptable doesn't make them always go away. Mm-hmm. So I would say that if you are feeling angry about the experiences you've had, that finding a way to talk to somebody about it or a way to get that energy out. And especially, I mean, physical activity can help with all tough feelings, you know, getting fresh air, going for a walk, exercising. It may be particularly helpful if you're feeling angry to kind of move your body and kind of get some of the energy out because otherwise it just, it can be a very uncomfortable state. Oh yeah. Just angsty uh, for sure. And it comes up a lot too that couples, you know, if you're in a relationship and you have a new baby, you may experience the diagnosis in very different ways. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sometimes people cope by detaching. Sometimes people cope by diving in and getting really Mm -hmm. involved in every nitty gritty detail and thinking and talking about things a lot and looking for more connection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's worth talking about how it's going, you know, at a, at a higher level with your co-parent, because it might be that you could, that just by identifying that you're coping in different ways, you can uh, feel better about it. Not that yeah. either of you necessarily has to change, but being like, you know, if it's the mom who wants more connection in dealing with the stress and the dad who seems detached, if she doesn't tell him that she's looking for this. He might not know otherwise, or he might not anticipate that she would want that, or he might not know that he's been detached. And so when you do it in like a, you know, a gentle way, or you can be cognizant that your partner might have a different style, it can help you to stay connected. Yeah, for sure. Because it it can, to what you were saying earlier about isolation, if you're not feeling the same things at the same time anyways, you can really disconnect 
in the relationship, which mm-hmm. causes like, you know, a whole other layer of stress for sure. Because it's true to your other point that if people aren't talking about it, there's no, you can only guess at somebody else's feelings. What I see on my end is resentment building. Like, why don't they understand? Why aren't they responding the way I am? And that's its own mental health stressor. That resentment can be really toxic when it lasts for a long time. Absolutely. So in the book that you've written, is it's really geared towards supporting parents who are dealing with these types of things. What would people be able to find in your book in terms of not only information, but coping strategies? Yes. So advanced parenting was really kind of a passion project that came from observing so many parents feel lost and confused after getting a new diagnosis and you know, not being able to get enough information about how to proceed in these 15 minute visits that are like standard in our healthcare system. And so, so it is designed to be kind of a useful resource at understanding the bigger picture of your family life and sort of balancing everybody's different perspectives and priorities. Then there's a a section about how you build your team, Mm. how you communicate with your team, how you best utilize your family and their strengths and weaknesses to incorporate them. I also talk about healthy siblings and how to balance when you have children, so maybe more than one child and one child who's facing a challenge. Mm. And then in regards to the coping skills, a lot of, you know, I was a psychology major undergrad and obviously really interested in mental health. And a lot of the things I share are sort of CBT inspired learnings about ways, you know, evidence-based ways to kind of cope with stress. So whether it's breathing exercises or meditation or mindfulness, we talk about things like that. And we also talk about positive self-talk as a coping skill Mm -hmm. and the importance of some of the things like rest and sustenance, you know, Mm -hmm. like It's amazing that parents are often very selfless and dedicated to their children, but it's also sad when parents always seem to put themselves last and sometimes they forget even these basic things. But in the long run, taking care of yourself as a parent and as a caregiving parent is going to be crucial to your child having a good outcome Mm -hmm. because, you know, you have this job of being their advocate and their quarterback and to do it well, you need to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, I don't know how many books that are geared towards this specifically, but I haven't seen a lot. I mean, this is really necessary support for all of the reasons that you already talked about, all the isolation and the shame and confusion. Like, how do you get through this? We don't, this is one of those things we don't learn about until we're going through it. And there's no way to really prepare until you're in it. So this sounds like so useful because parents feel lost. Thank you. You know, you have this passion project and this bigger vision of like, wouldn't it be nice if everybody understood more about what it's like to face a challenge with your child? Because Mm -hmm. the truth is like a third of children have a chronic health condition. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the parenting shelf or when (laughs) when you go to like a parent support group, it's typically restricted to potty training and sleep training and developmental milestones. And often it doesn't go like a layer deeper into like, what do you do when the unexpected comes up? Or how do you give a kid a medication every day for the rest of their life or teach a teenager to do their own medication? So at least this is a start. Absolutely. It's really just feels like it's filling a gap, this Mm -hmm. book, your work. 
you know, people that I know, specifically friends and then also clients that I support who have uh, their children have received a medical diagnosis. It's just, it can feel like a little bomb goes off in your life and you're just trying to figure it out. And how nice that there's a resource for that. That in and of itself, that there's a resource is supportive to mental health. Yes. You know, you don't have to figure it all out on your own. Yes. Well, there's a whole community of people out there who are, who are doing this, doing the same thing. And so it just, it's more visibility for that reality. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Frayden, for coming on and sharing this with us. I know the people who listen to this podcast are going to feel supported by this because a lot of parents feel unseen in this challenge. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Please connect with Dr. Freyden at her website, adviceigivemyfriends.com and on Instagram at adviceigivemyfriends. And as usual, for any of you who need additional support like therapy or like support groups, you can go to postpartum.net and search their many, many online support groups. And you can also look through the therapist directory. Thank you for being with us on this episode today. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.